1: Good morning everyone and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. Today, with my girlfriend and co-host Leah Diana, we will be winding back the reels to 1980. Against the backdrop of spine-chilling stories of drowned mariners and a 100-year-old shipwreck lying at the bottom of the sea, the peaceful community of the coastal town of Antonio Bay, California, is making preparations to celebrate its centennial. However, as strange supernatural occurrences blemish the festivities, an impenetrable, opaque mist starts to shroud the seaside village, leading to unaccountable disappearances and the spilling of warm, bright red blood. One long century ago, a hideous crime was committed by the town's elders. Now, the restless dead have returned for revenge, demanding justice, leaving the question... Is there something lurking in the fog? Let's get into it.
2: John Carpenter's The Fog. This is K. B. Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, and let me be the first to wish Antonio Bay a happy birthday. We're 100 years old today, and keep a watch out for that fog bank. Heading in from the east. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unknown came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Oh, Jesus. 100 years ago, between midnight and one, something unnatural came out of the fog. Now it has returned. Ago, between midnight and one, something evil came out of the fog. Now it has returned.
3: Who's there?
2: The fog. Antonio Bay has a curse on it.
0: We're all cursed. There's no water getting here, but something awful cold did. I think
3: I'll go to Vancouver now. Where's the fog now?
2: Well, it should be right outside my door now. Oh, well, there's something different about this fog. Stay
3: away from the door! Someone listen to me!
2: Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. Stay away from the fog. From the creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Lee as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. Fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. <gasps> Between midnight and one, it will find you.
1: Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers.
3: Tell all your grave and friends I'm out of the city. Now.
2: The nightmare, of insane murder from the depths
3: of hell. Oh! Oh!
1: Only at the house It was only a matter of time, Leah. Till until we reached John Carpenter.
4: Yeah, he's gonna have a lot of movies on this list. I see A whole series right there in the H's.
1: Well, basically, his entire filmography takes place in our wheelhouse. Minus one or two movies. What's the one? Um, well, I know he did The Ward in early 2000s.
4: Oh, that is, excuse me, I might need a sip of this.
1: It's sadly one of his more, uh, forgettable movies. I always hold out hope that he'll come back and direct something else.
4: He's not dead yet, so hope is there. He has done music with his sons.
1: Yes, and he's talked about doing new films, but I somebody don't know will happen.
4: Somebody should just... Being John, Malch- being John Malkovich, that asshole. It's doing? just a movie about a chain-smoking douchebag. That's all it is.
1: <laughs> How do you... Uh... How familiar are you with John Carpenter?
4: Halloween. And you made me watch The Thing. That's it.
1: That's the extent?
4: His music is very... Like, the music he has in his films is very synth. Very basic. But I know why people love it. His stories are... For the time? Gritty? For now? Uh, I mean, Halloween is amazing. It's a fucking classic. It's probably more well-known than the last movie we reviewed now because it's just people like horror, so... Would
1: you call yourself a fan of John Carpenter?
4: I want to say Getting There because this is only the third movie of his that I've watched. I don't think I can say I am a fan unless I watch... Wait, what do you mean four? Why are you flashing four?
1: You've also watched In the Mouth of Madness.
4: Oh, that's right! Can we cover that on the podcast? Yes, we can. We can. That movie was bomb. That was his. Yes. Oh, yeah, that movie's better. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, I'm gonna answer you and say no.
1: You're not a fan of John Carter.
4: Not, not uh, I'm not as uh, as much of a fan as I am of Peter Jackson.
1: Um. So, you came into this movie without
4: aligned without knowing anything. didn't know shit
1: what I mean, obviously, you knew the title the thought what did you expect?
4: Um, what I thought it was gonna be was kind of like what Halloween is. like you have the shadow like that's what like what Michael is supposed to be. He's supposed to be just a shadow, like some sort of. The silhouette, like nobody really knows what he is. So I went into this thinking, okay, like Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be running from something in the fog. She wasn't the predominant player in this.
1: No, and that's something I want to talk about a little bit more. Because her fucking
4: face is plastered on the front of this, but I say she had tops, maybe 15 minutes total of screen time
1: possibly
4: maybe 20 like but she had like 15 lines yes she doesn't do much which
1: we'll get into that a little bit more yeah later in this
4: me, let me put me down okay sorry bye
1: um so today we're taking a look at john carpenter's uh pretty popular film the fog uh this came out in 1980, um, directed by John Carpenter, obviously, yeah. written by Carpenter himself and, John and his Debbie, producing partner, Deborah Hill. Uh, Debbie. They were a duo for most of his career, and honestly, I wonder if her passing is one of the reasons he hasn't made a movie.
4: Oh, she died? Yes. When did she die? Um, in the 2000s? A while
1: ago. She passed away, unfortunately.
4: Oh. R.I.P. Sorry, Debbie.
1: Um, this film infamously stars Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Atkins, Janet Lee. Uh there's a lot of familiar faces that pop up in this one. Which we'll get into a few of those in a moment. Ye. Um this movie also brings Reunites a lot of Carpenter's regulars.
4: Yeah, this was a Halloween so, reunion tour.
1: Essentially. So, like, you had, like, Dean Cundey did the cinematography for this. He also did the cinematography on Halloween. Hmm. Um, and Halloween 3, I might add.
4: Which is a good movie. Fuck anybody who says it's not.
1: Oh, uh, we're gonna cover that at some point. Continue. The film was edited by Charles Bornstein and Tommy Lee Wallace, who... Tommy Lee Wallace has been heavily involved with the Halloween franchise, for, mm-hmm. or was for many years. Um, we get appearances throughout this one from uh, the most prominent right off the bat is John Carpenter himself. He pops up in a very small role. He's like the guy working in the church with the priest at the very beginning. No! Very young, very young John Carpenter continue we also get a, a small but lasting role from nancy loomis who was annie Brackett in halloween yes we also get a role for i forget his real name but sheriff Brackett, who plays dan or the guy on the, the other on the phone
4: no way Which
1: i always think is nice to see him in anything other than halloween guy didn't get a lot of work as far as i'm aware
4: Oh, shit, that was him.
1: <laughs> it looks a lot different. You can see it, though.
4: I can see it! I, I can see it! The mustache, the really big mustache that you're like, why? It's still there.
1: Um, This movie originally released on February 1st of 1980, so it was kind of an... Early in the year release, not a lot of people normally go see horror films early in the year. Mm. Coming just coming off of Christmas. Nobody really is in the mood, I guess. I always am.
4: You're not always in the <laughs> mood from for any kind of movie. It doesn't matter what.
1: It was made on a budget of one point one million dollars. Mm. And took home a box office of twenty one point three million.
4: Holy shit.
1: Making this one of Carpenter's only real successful films.
4: Besides Halloween? Oh no, Halloween so, wasn't as big, right?
1: Something, uh, since this is really the first time we're talking about John Carpenter. John Carpenter's is kind of somewhat infamous for the fact that none of his movies were big hits when they released. Most of them kind of gained their popularity on home video and... Uh, Slowly started to gain traction that way. Like, he he often was disappointed with, like, his movie. He put all this effort into a movie, it would come out, and it would be pretty much a failure.
4: No wonder why he's so jaded sometimes.
1: Yeah, well, he also somewhat has a right to be, given that with Halloween and The Thing alone, he's created... Some of the most heavy-hitting horror films that have lasted throughout the decades. Yeah. Uh, The man knows what he has. He is, from what I've heard, somewhat of an ass.
4: But you know what? The man had to watch some of his movies flop and then become big years later. I feel like he has a right to be an ass sometimes.
1: He does. And... I understand where his mentality has come from. But like, from what I've gathered, he essentially is all about the paycheck. Which, yeah. you know, so be it. You gotta survive. I understand. That's not my viewpoint on filmmaking. I, make, I work on films for the love of doing it. Uh, Carpenter, he kind of has resigned himself to just collecting the royalties on the films that he has made
4: did he have a hand in the new halloween that just came out halloween kills
1: yes so this current franchise of uh, which halloween 2018 halloween kills and the upcoming halloween ends john carpenter is a co-producer on all these he has somewhat some creative input in the writing and he him and his sons do the score for all of them
4: and Jamie Lee has her hand in those, too, right? She's an executive producer? As right? a
1: Yeah, she's an executive producer. I don't know if she really is involved with the writing... ...other than kind of giving her stamp of approval. And I think kind of, that's kind of where Carpenter is, too. Like, they just kind of run it all by them. But
4: even if he's an asshole... ...he wouldn't put his time into a film... ...if he still didn't care. Correct. So, yes, if he's just there for the royalties and the paycheck but cared enough about what he created in the 70s to still sit there and be like, I want a little in on it. He still cares. Yes. There's still a love there. But I understand why he's Jade. I really do. Like, I've heard some of the stories, and you've told me stuff, and it's like, I don't blame that man for being a chain-smoking asshole. <laughs> really don't.
1: <laughs> well, he's he's actually pretty infamous for... uh he said it in a few in a few different interviews people a- ask him why he does something or like uh, oh why would you choose to do this and his response is usually the same every time he always says well something interesting happens where they put a little check right here in the palm of my hand <laughs> and that's as far as it goes
4: so I have a question for you you're a huge John Carpenter fan. I am. You've said this a few times, but I want you to answer it on the podcast. Do you ever want to meet the man?
1: As interesting as it would be to actually talk to Mr. Carpenter, I don't know if I ever would want to meet him in person.
4: And why is that?
1: Um, I definitely think it falls under the you never want to meet your heroes Don't meet thing. your heroes. Yep. I... With the stories I've heard that of how challenging of a personality he has, I don't know if I would want. Like, I don't know how it would feel. Like, if. Like, if I were to talk to him and he were to just be an ass, like, I wouldn't know if I would be okay with it because I would expect it, knowing his track. His, uh. Mm. What do you call that? His reputation. But. I don't know. Like, it, it could fall into one of those categories where you're like, wow, I've idolized this guy and he is rude as hell.
4: Yeah. I, I live the same way. I have so many people that I'd love to meet, but I won't meet them because I don't want to meet somebody with this glorified pedestal example of what they are in my mind and all of a sudden, like, oh, they were kind of a jerk. But, like, celebrities. There's a reason why celebrities are the way they are. They have paparazzi. You have people trying to pursue stories. You also have fans that are always like, Oh my God, I'm your biggest fan. I'm about... And they hear the same story over and over. You get jaded. You really do. Is Any kind of work in Hollywood, you get very jaded. I wouldn't want to meet my heroes too. There are some YouTubers I'd like to meet because content creators, I believe, are a lot different than what Hollywood celebrities or Hollywood like cast, crew, the whole kind of celebrity ball. Content creators are different, but I'm still wary about meeting my favorite content creators. So, that's how I feel about it. If you ever meet us, we're as weird as we are here in real life. I'm even weirder.
1: Yeah, we generally try to just be ourselves on this.
4: You're seeing us. You're seeing who we are.
1: Yeah, I don't... I don't know how I would feel about meeting John Carpenter. I think it would be cool, Mm. but at the same time, I don't. I don't know. Nothing if he ever happens to see this. Nothing against him. Nothing against you. I. I idolize you for the work, for your body of work, like the skill that you have to have created such iconic movies in the industry I will always look up to John Carpenter for that It'll never be it's like Stanley Kubrick yeah. again reputation for being an asshole but he was a fucking genius behind Proof the of his
4: assholeness is the way he treated Shelley Duvall Shelley Duvall from the shi- in the Shining Now that being said You will be an inconsolable, blubbering mess when that man dies. I know you will. You will be in that bed. Just leave me to die. (laughs) Like, you will be very sad.
1: If the coffee and chain smoking ever gives up and John Carpenter passes, um, I'm going to need a minute.
4: Yeah. (laughs) I will say, Keith Richards, if you are listening to this, please, for the love of God, whatever your secrets to immortality are, please pass them to Carpenter so I don't have to deal with a bummering <laughs> mess. Thank you.
1: Um, But I guess we should probably get into the actual movie.
4: Yes, I'm going to let you take the lead on this because I had a what-the-fuck attitude the whole time, and mine is just quips.
1: Oh, boy. Um, well, I'd like to start out kind of just really talking about fun facts some yes okay. but uh talking about the filmmaking and like the approach to doing this Got it so this as i said this movie was made on 1.1 $1. $1. $1 million dollars which is not a lot of money in terms of not now filmmaking. now not that's then. a drop
4: in a bucket well, yeah well, well 1980 i still think that's quite a bit of money
1: it really wasn't
4: no not in filmmaking
1: no um, essentially this was considered a low-budget, independent movie. Which it is. Yeah, like, I didn't recognize
4: um, any of the production companies that have associated with it.
1: No, a little over a million dollars isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, But an interesting thing is that John Carpenter still chose to shoot this movie in anamorphic widescreen Panavision. Which is generally reserved for big... Or at the time, at least, was reserved for big, huge budget movies.
4: Well, some of the scenery in that is gorgeous. The sweeping beach, the the lighthouse, the small town. Like, those, 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 oh, help me. Locations? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Those locations were gorgeous, so why not take advantage of a higher quality to, 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 I'm so sorry, to view those, to record those? to film those <laughs> What did you put in the coffee? You made it. No he didn't.
1: Uh Well, to that point, he chose to shoot it in this because it gave hit to his idea was that it would give the film a grander feel for the viewer. Mm. So you it wouldn't feel like a small movie, it would feel like something much bigger.
4: Cut to 2021, where this is grainy as shit and kind of looks like crap quality, but that's because of technology. That's all it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this movie still looks great. Like some of the, one of the notes I had was that the, the scenery that this place, this movie showcases is supposed to be of this, like, uh, the surrounding areas of this small town. Mm are breathtaking
4: they're breathtaking but then you get to the darker ones and it's just very grainy and very very shadowy but that's john carpenter like i can't complain about the way the man presents a film i can't that's who he is look at how halloween was it was bright cheery and beautiful during the day but when you got to the night shots i mean it had to look eerie and and hidden and like it you can see this you you can tell it's a carpenter film by the the similarities of the filming the thing not so much but that was a whole different type of location for the thing to be shot
1: the thing was actually after this
4: yeah that's what i mean like well you, you know what i mean like it was that's set in like a very cold dark climate so there wasn't really like breathtaking shots or beautiful landscapes or anything like that
1: there was some in the beginning but it's like...
4: Oh, it's with the helicopter yeah. when they're going after the dog. All right, yeah. That's true.
1: So this movie was originally much shorter. Um, I think it ran the original... Uh, the original rough cut was about, like, 80 minutes or something like that.
4: I did read a little bit of why it was shorter. Or why this version is longer. I was reading a sci-fi yeah. article.
1: So essentially... Um, It was just too short uh, for a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he eventually went back. He shot more scenes. um, And among these is how the film begins. And we open this movie with a quote from Edgar Allan Poe. And I don't know if I copied it down correctly, but it was something along the lines of... Uh, all that we see uh, is but a dream within a dream. I could, I it went off the screen too fast for me to actually write it all yeah, down. Yeah,
4: let me see if I can keep talking. Let me see if I can find it.
1: Um, but we follow this up with a campfire tale, a haunting story of the Elizabeth Dane. Um, told by a weathered old sailor to a group of children.
3: Mm. Uh,
1: the story tells of a clipper ship that met its fate as it was led, uh, led into the shore on a foggy night by a burning fire and crashed against the rocks, sunk, everyone drowned.
4: Everyone died, yep.
1: Um... And the end of this, this... uh, Yeah, the end of this story... Marks the stroke of midnight. Which starts... The strange occurrences that begin to plague this small town. Mm. I think this is a really fitting way to start this movie. Because it introduces you to this plot... As... A ghost story. Mm-hmm. Right from the rip. You're expecting... A campfire story and that's yep. exactly what we get
4: the uh the quote is is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream how does that fit with the movie
1: well i mean essentially you you have to take into account that this is something unexplainable that's happening okay. and this could be a to the outside world, they would probably view something like this as a occurrence of mass psychosis.
4: True. Okay.
1: So, I believe that's what he was getting at. Just like a very like, is this real?
4: Something was in the fog, chemical wise. The whole town inhaled it, and now they're all thinking they're crazy, seeing things in the fog. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. I see what you're putting down.
1: <laughs> um. For me, this has always been one of those stories that's told in fragments. Um, to some degree. Because we're following several different characters.
4: We're following like three main plots, essentially.
1: Yeah. But th- we're cutting back and forth to all these different people throughout this town as all of this is starting to occur. Mm. Um, for the most part, we follow um, our priest and we follow
4: follow Father Malone. Father Malone. You follow um Elizabeth Nick. Warren and Nick. her. Oh, I'm go I'm going the other way. You're following Father Malone. You're following Elizabeth Warren and her secretary.
1: Oh, oh yep. Elizabeth right.
4: Williams, I'm sorry, her secretary. <laughs> I find that funny. Um, then you're following Nick and uh oh, she- Elizabeth. Her name is Oh my god everybody's oh she's elizabeth the other one's just mrs will anyways you're following you're following jamie and tom yeah and then you're following janet and uh annie <laughs> basically and then you were following Nancy is her Nancy, real name. <laughs> and then you're following uh the radio dj yes yeah so you okay so you have four storylines you're kind of following
1: oh and that's a that's another fun little thing i i think anyway Mm. um so our radio dj is played by adrian barbeau who
4: is who is who who is she
1: so adrian barbeau is huge name in 80s cinema yep in a lot of john carpenter movies and several other things at the time that this was made i believe that she was john carpenter's wife
4: yes yep i saw that i was like wait your wife's the main lead That makes sense. Well,
1: all right. So John Carpenter is well known for dating or marrying
4: a lot of people. (laughs) Betting lots of ladies?
1: Well, I wouldn't say lots, but he originally was married to Deborah Hill.
4: And they stayed friends. And they stayed friends and producing partners. That would make sense why her death would be equal. Even more devastating because that would, was just like first or second wife or something I think
1: first, um, as far as I know, and then he he had a stint where he was married to Adrian Barbeau, um, that didn't last unfortunately, and I don't know if he did, uh, married anybody. After Man, this
4: says different. What? He was married to Adrian Barbeau, and he's still married to Sandy King. He was not married to Deborah Hill
1: pretty sure he was i know they at least dated
4: yeah possible they dated but listed as
1: i thought they were married at one point i could be wrong
4: no i don't see it unless wikipedia sucks which (laughs) i don't know if wikipedia is the greatest um thing but i i don't i think you've said before that they were a thing
1: yes they were definitely a thing John Carpenter stated two inspirations for this movie. Mm. Um, both of which are related to Great Britain, surprisingly.
4: I read a little bit of this. Okay.
1: Um, the first was the British film The Crawling Eye.
4: Didn't read that part. Uh,
1: this That movie is about um, monsters hiding in the clouds. Mm. They were inspired... Uh, him and Deborah Hill were inspired by a trip they took to Stonehenge. Um I'm guessing that uh, I guess when they went, they uh, the place was covered in fog.
4: They, from the thing I read, the blip I read was he looked over at the nearing hill and the fog was coming down over the horizon, off the hill, and his thought was, "Wouldn't it be awesome if something came out of that?" Because Stonehenge is a Stonehenge is a very creepy place. It's beautiful, but it's kind of eerie because it's where. Natural ley lines intersect, so there's a lot of overwhelming feeling when you're there with ley lines. They you can feel the electro electro
1: electromagnetic,
4: yeah, field. You can feel it when you're in those type of places. So it's a convergent spot. That's why I don't quote me on a lot of this, but I know loose, 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 loose. I believe it was a place where druids would meet and that's why Stonehenge is very important to older like English history. I'm not 100% sure and don't quote me on any of this but that's what I believe Stonehenge is. It's a very creepy eerie place to be. So it would make sense that you know a king of horror would be like oh wouldn't it be cool? (laughs) Have you ever been? I have never been out of I've never been off the east coast of America I've gone from Maine to Florida The farthest I've ever gone is Pittsburgh West and North Carolina I mean Charlotte, North Carolina That's as far as I've gone I would love to go I have family in Scotland So I'd love to head out there
1: This movie also has a connection to Hitchcock's The Birds
4: Does it? A
1: small one and it's definitely intentional.
4: Is it because of Janet Lee?
1: No. Um, so at one point during this movie, Tom Atkins' character mentions uh, Bodega Bay. This is where The Birds takes place. And when... Uh, in The Birds, when Tippi Hedren's character pulls into town, mm. the shit hits the fan. All hell breaks loose. Yep. In this movie, as soon as Jamie Lee Curtis's character pulls into town, the same thing happens.
4: Shit, shit hits the fan. Yeah,
1: small things, but it's a nice connection. Hmm. Um. But where were we? Uh, essentially, this movie get hits the ground running fairly quickly.
4: It does. That's what I was saying to myself. Like, you don't have a chance to breathe. It's like, boom, here you now, go.
1: We open with that stroke of midnight. And all these little things start occurring around the town uh, Stupid things mostly But like windows break um, Things the, begin to rattle All the bottles
4: in a, a store Rattle um, The gasoline pump falls off And, and gas start- spills out Yeah. Uh, all the car alarms go off And Nancy Or her character I don't remember what her character's name is um, Nancy's like listening to all these car alarms go off in the middle of the night Where she's woken up it's just eerie, because you start all this off, and then once one o'clock hits, everything stops. It all stops. stops. It's all done.
1: Um, but through this, we're, all, we're also being introduced to our characters. We meet the priest as like, a piece of his wall breaks off, and he finds the journal. Um,
4: the wall breaks off where he was sitting, too. Yeah. If he didn't move, that man would have been dead.
1: Yes. True. Uh, we meet Tom Atkins as he's, I assume he's driving home.
4: Yeah, it it, it looks like he's driving home from the dock.
1: Possibly, we it's pick possible. him up when there's he's on no, a back road. There's
4: no real like backstory about what he's doing, but as you as the story progresses, you learn that he goes out on the boat with the fishermen and yeah. everything, and I'm assuming he come, came home from the docks, and he picks up jamie lee's character who is elizabeth
1: yes and uh they have a fun little interaction i think at first where she immediately asks him if he's weird oh yeah "Yeah, i'm weird
4: oh thank god (laughs) i can't take normal and then it cuts to the windows blowing out in the car all the windows just boom blow out and the next thing we know they're in bed together he just picked picked her up <laughs> off the side of the road, and now they fuck it.
1: Yes, and the
4: the eighties were a weird time.
1: As ridiculous as that seems, um, I also try to look at it. Uh, this came out in nineteen eighty, which means it was made in the end tail end Late of the seventies. Yeah. So this was the very end of the whole free love.
4: If you movement. seen the eighties, there was free love everywhere, but. No, not really with protection, but there was some protection.
1: Yeah. So. And so, like, I kind of chalk it up to that.
4: I mean, the '60s was free love. The '70s was all, all about weird, like other. Weird it was stuff.
1: still there though, like throughout yeah. the '70s.
4: But you know what? It was refreshing to see the girl next door, Little Miss Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, in bed with. Good news, girls! Your dates are here. Bad news, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> <can lie. laughs> we'll get to that one oh
1: Tom Atkins oh Tom Atkins Tom Atkins I'm not gonna lie he's one of my favorite oh my fucking actors I, from the 80s if I ever
4: met that man I'd shake his hand and be like I've only been a fan for a few years but sir give me your hand give me uh, your hand he's
1: so awesome he is yeah like a lot of this these early moments of the film kind of glaze past pretty quick
4: they do but it sets up how strange the situation is going to be yes. in my opinion
1: Um the Yeah, we cut over to them in bed, they're chit chatting, he's looking at her drawings because I guess she's an artist.
4: it sounds like she's been hitchhiking for a while. She's kind of a nomad. Like we don't really find we don't find anything out.
1: We do learn that she's heading to Vancouver. Yep. Um, And we get one of our first instances of Actually, it's. I think it's a second instance of a, a knock at the door. Yes. The fog rolls in, There's and something is door. knocking at the door.
4: And at one o'clock, the fog pulls out, and everything stops, stops. And you're kind of like, okay, all right.
1: Um. This is, of course, after a cutaway to the boat, where the fog r- literally rolls in off the ocean, and we get our first glimpse of the things in the fog as they kill a bunch of fishermen
4: and i loved the article that i read i loved that john carpenter wanted to keep it as mysterious as what michael was supposed to be they are just silhouettes in the fog you I... don't see even that a final act you don't see shit you see silhouettes of what they are
1: i love that decision like it keeps them as ominous as humanly possible and it's You get these small details, you can tell that they're wearing torn clothing. They actually kind of, like, what you do see of them looks like they could be mummies. Yeah. And it just, it looks so damn good. It does. Backlit in the veil of fog.
4: It's that, it it brings you back to a Lovecraftian idea. Where you cannot see them, and if you see them, you'll be driven insane. I love that idea and maybe it's because just this is a lovecraft this is a lovecraft household we are anything hp lovecraft like any kind of cthulhu mythos is big for us just knowing that just out of reach just out of sight is this horrific insanely grotesque thing that will drive you to the brink of madness and i love it when Filmmakers choose, and, and even people who authors choose not to tell you what it looks like, but it is just this thing, just out of your periphery. I love it. It makes me so happy not to know what you're dealing with.
1: I agree. And I wholeheartedly would categorize this as a Lovecraftian film. It's not in the sense of giant, unnameable, unimaginable horrors, but it's that. Impending unknown.
4: Uh, it's the un, the unknown, that, that oh,
1: unending dread that is coming from something unexplainable.
4: It is the pit of your stomach, dread, worry. Like if you're out, so you go outside, you take out the trash. It's like midnight, and the air is quiet. There's no wind. There's no barking. There's no sirens. There's nothing. It's that feeling. It's that unnerving just what what is going to happen. I I hate it, but I also love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it when filmmakers choose that.
1: And I think one of the things that really makes that element so pronounced in this is the fog itself.
4: The fog like anything could hide in that anything. Well, they
1: do a incredible job throughout this entire movie making that fog feel like it's a living breathing they entity. do like
4: how in the world did they do half of the effects They I saw the reverse
1: yes there's some but there was reverse some it was creeping.
4: it was just insane
1: he was able to like he uses it as it's like billowing outside the houses as it's and makes it into this lurking threat that like you can't help but wonder what horrors are lurking inside of it.
4: What could be deeper in that? What is beyond that? Like, like ooh.
1: I love the way it swarms into some scenes and it like envelops each location one by one until they have nowhere left to go.
4: Like the the choice of having Andy and the babysitter behind these huge beautiful glass doors and windows to where it's like you think, oh, the fog's not gonna get in, you're safe. But it's right there. Like you are only a window pane away from the danger. And it's like it I can see where this movie in nineteen eighty would have you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. This didn't because it's older. Like this movie is like almost forty no, it is forty years old, right? Nineteen eighty to Well I
1: was eighty
4: five and I'm thirty six. So yeah, yeah. yeah, this is 42 years
1: i think it's like it's absolutely incredible to think that john carpenter was able to create these like moments with the fog on such a small budget yeah especially with paying an all-star cast like he has in this
4: it's just from what i read they were just fog machines they were fog machines manipulated with any kind of wind fans source and fans shit. and snow blow not snow blowers leaf blowers and stuff it's amazing i was like what the hell this man be an asshole you're a genius it's fine <laughs> i'm okay i'll send you a carton of cigarettes if you want menthol non-menthol just let me know
1: <laughs> i don't even know if he smokes anymore actually
4: if he doesn't smoke he's kind of dumb he's at the end of his year. smoke him if you got him it's hard
1: for me, honestly, it's very hard for me to keep like on track of step by step with this movie.
4: It is, but I do want to I've got bulletin points. So after all of this, the fogs happened, we, we cut away from them, you get the first notes of the score of this movie. And it wasn't oh. until those first notes played did I realize what the score was. You've played this for me so many times. You've played remixes for me. This is a pretty iconic score, even in this household.
1: So, yeah, this this score, like most other Carpenter films, the score is done by Carpenter himself. Um, this one is one of my personal favorite movie scores of all time. Hmm. Um, it's, honestly, I like this more than Halloween.
4: Honestly, I, I, it feels more impending dread than Halloween does
1: it's that first one it, it delivers a more eerie ghostly like almost exorcist vibe yes that i personally could listen to for hours
4: you have listened to i've been i here. have
1: actually funny thing this is one this is one of my go-to scores to listen to if i'm like doing something or if i'm one example is i've actually listened to this while going out by myself hiking in the woods with headphones and taking and doing photos i've just okay. i've walked through the woods alone early early in the morning so like dead silence no one else is out there he's a
4: psychopath
1: <laughs> and it it made the whole experience of doing that by myself so much more like unique
4: all right so kind of like me where i had my first photo shoot in october 2019 before covid and everything happened and i had played like nature um kind of like irish celtic music to get this this beautiful like um wood photo shoot done with a friend of mine and having that music just made it More magical, in my opinion. Just got me more into the whole mystical kind of photo shoot that it was. Wish I had a fog machine that day. (laughs) That would have been fucking bad. Next time. Badass. But, you know, (laughs) I digress. We're going to plan things. But I can see where you're coming from. Music definitely reshapes an experience. It's the reason why whenever I need to get shit done in the house and you're not here, boom. Skyrim Rainy Nights goes on. (laughs) I can't explain to you why that soundtrack of just the nighttime rain uh, tavern music or like the outside music puts me in a cleaning mood or lo-fi chill when I read books. Literally, I just sit on the ottoman, look out the window and read books like that. But music definitely changes your environment. And the first time you played this soundtrack for me, I was like, this is eerie. This music is just eerie, and you have the vinyl of it, and you put the vinyl on when we still had the record player here, before we had to move it. Side note, I miss the record player sometimes, because I cannot wait to have that back in the house. We just don't have room for it right now. I mean, we could, but I have to kick out my entire K-pop collection, and uh, we're not doing
1: that. (laughs) I absolutely love the way that this film slowly builds.
4: It, it, the action gets going really quick, and then it it just kind of It does this, and then it just builds much slower. Till the tension just is right there at the end, and then it's done. I was like, I like how this movie is paced. It gives you that impending dread in the beginning, and then lets you get on with the mystery of what's really happening.
1: It also, like, so the overall dread of this fog, and the strange things that come with it... Mm. Like you said, it, it like it introduces you pretty quick and then it just slowly starts to build and build and build.
4: It's your goddamn slow burn movie, and I love it. Ugh.
1: And it, but it builds to these moments of really good tension. Mm. Like uh, my biggest example was this scene where, like right after they saved the little kid. And they're yeah. in the car, and the car is getting surrounded in fog.
4: And it's, and it's starting, but they're stuck in a pothole, and they can't get it to yeah. move, and they're getting closer and closer, and you're, like, sitting there going... You're
1: seeing the, the, the entities, like, around the car. Just,
4: but even the entities are like, go ahead. We'll let you try and fight and get out. Go right ahead. It's like they're almost fucking toying with them. Like, you're not the one we really want. But we'll get you anyways. Like, I feel like they were methodically going after people. Like, oh, okay. Like, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's character didn't have a real tie to the town. Andy was just a kid. I feel like they were after Tom's character, Nick. I feel like they were after residents that lived there that should know better, in my opinion. Only because of the plot line. We're not at the plot. We're not at the big plot story yet, but only because of that fact.
1: Speaking of Tom Atkins, yes. So we learn much pretty late into the film that his character's name is Nick Castle. Do you know why that's significant? Castle
4: Rock, (laughs) Stephen King, no. (laughs) Nathan Fillion.
1: Uh, Nick Cat. The character is named after John Carpenter's friend who played the Shape in Halloween.
4: Oh, Nick Castle. That's pretty cool
1: I thought that was fun It's a nice little So touch. he
4: he did that and then he wrote the Literally wrote the part in it for Jamie Yeah So like this was I really had fun on Halloween I'm just gonna put everybody back in Pretty much
1: um, Anybody that was willing
4: I mean Halloween made Jamie who she was I don't think she'd say no to John I really don't Probably not
1: Um Carpenter also uses this movie as, like, a good excuse to change things up. What do you mean? So, like, on Halloween, everything was very reserved. Everything was minimal. That was his goal. It was was very...
4: Halloween was minimal? Halloween was minimal. Halloween was gory. Halloween was graphic.
1: There's no blood in Halloween. None.
4: Wait a minute. No. No. Even when he pins him to the door? Nothing. But your shirt has blood on it. No, it doesn't. Fuck's his shirt. Get this shirt. <laughs> is <laughs> this one of the shirts that's gone now, though?
1: No, it's, like, packed away somewhere. It's buried deep. <laughs> but, no, there's no blood in Halloween. It's a very minimalistic movie. And in this movie, he does the same thing. No gore.
4: I even was gonna say that when they were stabbing the fishermen. I'm like, where's all the blood?
1: No blood. Uh, but... He start, like everything was minimalistic in Halloween. Like, everything was darkly lit, everything was Yeah, Halloween was like on a
4: tinier budget than, than what this movie was, correct?
1: I believe so. This one, he makes... One of the things I noticed was his lighting choices were more intense. Yeah. A lot of scenes felt like they came out of, like, Suspiria.
4: I, I had to make a note. Why is the fog day-glow? Like, the fog literally had a fucking hippies weed smoking fucking black light tone to it
1: well i think initially the idea was so that they could do those really nice backlit shots of the the mm. entities the ghosts um but it also adds to that like ethereal otherworldly feeling that this is not normal fog
4: yeah this isn't like your everyday run-of-the-mill tiny little mist droplets this is you know, this shit in here that's gonna kill you bye run
1: i think that's why he wrote it in like he, he made it part of the fog that it glows so that he could achieve the look he wanted mm. and it was a smart choice it looks fucking awesome
3: it
4: does look awesome I do have to say the fog rolling in over the bay from the scenes of the the lighthouse, they didn't age well. Some of it, like, it goes really, it stutters a little. I and, know
1: exactly which one you're talking about.
4: Yeah, the, the one where she's closing in on her son, that one right there. Yeah,
1: she's saying, oh, the fog's moving in over the bay, and it cuts to this shot because I made note of it. Yep. Um it's one shot. The rest of the shots look pretty they good. They look good. This shot was like this one it looked like they took a uh they superimposed like something over a matte painting and they just kind of slid it across and it doesn't look great. It doesn't age. It looks well. like
4: at one point they were sliding it okay and like somebody pushed too hard and it like, went like,
1: and you're like stuttered.
4: Hey guys <laughs>
1: I mean, it is what it is.
4: It it shit happens. Then you buy a duck, you know?
1: I can overlook it.
4: Yeah. We interrupt your regularly scheduled film talk for this important announcement. I know what you're thinking. Oh, God, not an ad. But trust me, if you have ever had a passing interest in podcasting, then you're going to want to hear about Anchor. Anchor is a podcast platform by Spotify, and it is way easier to make a podcast with absolutely everything you need to capture your audience all in one place. Anchor has the tools to help you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And choosing to host with Anchor means that you can distribute your podcast on all major listening platforms, like Spotify, naturally, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and and many more. It also allows you to begin earning money with your show with no minimum listener requirements. Anchor was our first and only choice when we decided to start our show and we cannot recommend it enough. So if you have an idea to podcast, don't wait any longer. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So where are we in the plot? Okay, so we wake up the next day and the son of the radio broadcaster finds a piece of gold that he goes oh what's that the waves rush over it it turns into driftwood that says dame on or dame yeah it says dame on it and he's like oh mom i found this one d-a-n-e Dane? oh dane dane i thought i thought it was dame elizabeth dane dane okay so I was like, all right, well, that's kind of eerie because they were talking about the boat in the story, of the Elizabeth Dane. Okay, kind of creepy. So he brings it back to his mom, mom takes it with her. Um, next shot is we're introduced to Janet Lee's character, which looks like she's just a town busybody works for like some sort of like the mayor i don't know yeah. All i only know there's her husband's one of the fishermen that go missing the night before
1: i'm unclear of what her role in the town is
4: she just seems like the karen of the town excuse me pardon me coming through
1: well i think she's in office of some kind yeah but i don't know what
4: but let's just say janet lee in 1980 she looked good but also in 1978 when halloween came out jamie was only like 18 So that means Jamie was probably only like 20, 21, 22 at this time. So she wouldn't have looked really much older, but she looks good. Even though she's got that white blonde hair, she looks like the mom. But I'm like, damn, and I'm still astonished. I never put fucking two and two together. I know this was episodes back where I was like, wait a minute, that's her mom. Still to this day, I'm like, "Oh look Janet Lee, that's right. That's her fucking mother. <laughs> like <laughs> she looks good. But I have to say, Jamie looks a lot more more like her father than she does like her mother.
2: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today.
4: She Uh, looks more like the Curtis side, I think. I can definitely
1: see the Now that she's this age,
4: now that she's in her seventies.
1: I don't know for sure. Oh
4: god, now I need to see. How old is Jamie Lee? Still on John Carpenter, so, you know, there's a connection there. Yeah. Let's say. Jamie Lee. She's still hot. 63.
1: 63.
4: So, I mean, she All looks right. fine. She looks great. I don't look like her when I'm 63. God damn. <laughs> also, was this when she started her short hair phase? Because I don't know any other movie besides Halloween where she has longer hair. Um. True Lies. she had short hair.
1: Possibly. I know she did, like, she's in, like, Terror Train and Prom Night. Uh but I think she has I think she still has longer hair in those.
4: Really? I hated her haircut in this. Hated it. It Whoa, was it's like that, that like, longer feathery... mullet fed I mean Adrian had a better feathered hairdo. Yeah, but than did. Adrian
1: Adrian Barbo's hair is just naturally heavily curly. So it So it floofed yeah. out like
4: that and I'm just sitting there going, I want her hair.
1: <laughs> Jamie's is more of that straight hair that's feathered. Yeah, So it like hangs
4: Like how? How do you do your hair like that? Like I want to know. Like were the seventies and eighties just different? Because I have hair that just.
1: I mean, you could probably do a like mild feathering to yours. It's possible.
4: Yeah, if I put a blowtorch to it. Oh God. (laughs) I look stupid. No. Yeah. Where were you? (laughs) So we get to, um. Nick and Elizabeth are now Going around town Nick was like oh I'm going to take you out on the boat
1: Well he's investigating Like his, his friends didn't come back
4: Yeah his friends didn't come back So he's like oh, okay let's, let's Go out on another boat and go to find them Puts a call out to the coast guard The radio lady's like oh You know if anybody's seen this boat Please get in contact with us we're looking for it So then they do find the boat Unfortunately with no one aboard but the boat looks weird like it's been underwater for ages and everything is just soaked rusted and rusted and rotted and doesn't look good which can attribute to the entities going on board and aging anything that they touch i believe or what they touch or what they're in suffers the same curse that they yeah, do it I like guess. erodes yeah so Nick and Elizabeth are sitting there talking for a little bit. You know, I don't know where they are. There's no sign them. them. Elizabeth does something, moves somehow, and one of the guys ends up a corpse lying on top of her or on her back. And she is traumatized. And we get the signature Scream Queen Scream.
3: <laughs>
4: she does this scream that is blood-curdling. And I'm like, I love Jamie. I hope Jamie can still scream like that. I really do. Although watching Halloween Kills... She does a lot of different screaming in that movie. Yeah. (laughs) From pain, from anger. It's very different.
1: (laughs) I'm very excited to see where that ends.
4: Uh, Honestly, I've heard we're going to cut. I know we're going to go off track with a lot of stuff with this one. That movie, when we we watched it Halloween night, we decided, no, we're going to watch Halloween Kills on Halloween while everybody was trick or treating and having a good time. I liked that movie. I actually was very surprised. I'd heard a lot of negative reviews, not verbally for anything. Like we were literally sitting in a doctor's office waiting for me to get blood work. And all we heard was, Oh, don't go see it. Don't bother. It's terrible. And he was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like I'm sitting here. People haven't seen this movie. Don't ruin it for people. But at the same time, it was like, you know what? We'll cast our own judgment. After watching it, we understand why people didn't like it because people don't like to accept certain things face at face value because this movie was made pre-pandemic pre-everything and i see why they made the call we're not going to release it this year we're going to release it afterwards there was some material in there that was a little sensitive there was yeah us we're like whatever but i can see and it's like don't judge the material that's in the movie like that judge the storyline that storyline was very impactful It was very impactful on the basis of what Michael is. Yes. Michael Myers instills fear, unadulterated, pure fear into anybody or anything. You could be a tough, fucking brutal asshole, but when you're facing fear right there and then, you have no, you're, you're, you back down. That's what Michael is. So I'm very excited to see from where that movie ended, where we're going to go. Because it's literally. Lori Strobe and Michael Myers. That's all it is. Like, I cannot wait. Cannot wait to see what happens.
1: This conversation has gone off the rails.
4: It really has. It has. <laughs> we're still in Carpenter territory, yeah, so it's fine. All right. Back to... Where do we leave off? <laughs> so, we get to the point where now we're following the radio announcer. And... She's heading to work, and it is beautiful scenery for her heading to work where she runs the radio station through the old lighthouse that still runs.
1: Which I think that's really cool. I
4: think that's gorgeous. A lot of lighthouses now are all basically operated by computers. You don't have to have somebody there all the time. But it's really cool that she repurposed it as a broadcasting station because it's the highest point, and she can get to every. That's great she also has one hell of a vantage point when this fog starts rolling in
1: yeah she essentially takes over like she even says to her son over the radio at one point i'm sorry i have to stay here and then you see why because she's like calling out what the fog is doing
4: yeah everybody go bolt your doors hide don't open the door stay bunker down if you have to hide if you're out get to the old church, basically. Yeah. And we're skipping a lot because there's a lot of just the fog. It's a lot of just the fog as a character throughout this whole yeah, thing.
1: moving throughout it the town. Is, and... We
4: cannot describe how amazing just the cinematography is and the effects this is. And from what I read, they all used practical effects with this. There was no... Yeah. any Matte painting was the only real effect that they used after effect. Right. Like, all of it was cast and crew, blowing shit, fog machines, wind machines, using reverse technology. I was, like, blown away. It's like a 20-minute sequence of just the fog taking over everything, yeah. basically. And Nick and Elizabeth and the other two just trying to hide. Trying to get away. Well, they do rescue the broadcaster's son. The babysitter, unfortunately, gets sucked into the fog. Yes. Um. Oh, before that... When we get to the station, I have completely forgot about this scene. Um, she has the driftwood with her. And she's listening to promos for the station about how to announce you're listening to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And she puts... The, she's still playing. She puts it down. She puts the driftwood on top of the A-tracks. She goes. She's still listening, checking stuff. And all of a sudden, the radio warps into something else. And I didn't catch any of the lines, unfortunately. Uh, well, but It warps so into somebody speaking it about... It starts to... It starts to do the warble thing. It starts thing. to slow down. Yeah. Like
1: it's like... Yep. And that's because we see that it's getting wet.
4: Yes. The driftwood is literally leaking water, seawater everywhere. And then it shorts the tape out. And then the driftwood explodes and says six must die on it. She gets a fire extinguisher, blows out the fu- everything, and everything goes back to normal. But there's seawater everywhere still. So she's seeing firsthand something's Something's not right so now we as an audience know that six must die and then we get to the part where um along in those lines Janet Lee and Nancy's characters get to Father Malone and Father Malone is reading them the diary and what had happened was six original people had gathered between midnight and one o'clock on April 1st um 1880 uh, as a plot to destroy the Elizabeth Dane because it carried people who had leprosy. and they planned on living near the town a little ways away, start a new life. and they made said a, about
1: a mile about a
4: mile up the road or something. and they had a plot to kill all of them because they had a substantial amount of gold that would help um, this community but they didn't want the lepers to live there because leprosy back then was a very bad thing i don't know much about leprosy all i know is there's a leper song from jesus christ superstar that's all i know i don't know oh my god that's one i should make you watch (laughs) (sighs) but it come to find out these six people conspired between 12 o'clock and 12 12 a.m and 1 a.m that's why everything's happening between those times Six people must be taken for the six co-conspirators that killed all of these people on this boat. Yes. They set a light. The signal fire was supposed to show them where to go. They lit the fire on the beach near the rocks. That's why the the boat was destroyed and everyone was killed. So now the fog is basically people on a mission for revenge because they were killed for no reason other than being different. Yes. That's where I turn around and go, oh... This is a nice story. Well, this is a
1: good ghost story. This is actually a good point to bring up that this this story carries with it some pretty strong themes mm. that are even strong today. Um, the idea that this is a community founded on lies, built on the blood of innocent lives, yep. um, and a curse that's coming to roost. Uh, there's themes of like the consequences of our forefathers' sins bearing down on our generation. Mm-hmm. These are things that we still see in movies today. Yes. And Carpenter having the know how and like this foresight to utilize these in the 80s, in 1980, uh, with a simple campfire tale is it's genius.
4: Simple ghost story that would curl your toes when you're a kid you go out you go to camp you stay for the night you get told a ghost story you can't sleep you're all spooked as adults we're like yeah, it's just it's a ghost story but like as kids we were really into are you afraid of the dark with the ghost stories yeah. around the campfire so it's nice that there's an adult version of this where it's well, like oh no we're gonna kill all you because of this
1: this that's the thing like Yes, you can watch this movie through the lens of... It's a ghost story. It's a simple ghost story that could be for kids, really. Or, you can look at its deeper themes... And realize that this, story, this movie isn't just a simple campfire tale. It's mm. something that we should consider as adults.
4: It's got like a really kind of like it's not a straight line truth but it's got kind of like a roundabout truth that the sins of the forefathers will eventually kept catch up to the children exactly and it's like oh there's a deep meaning so it's got love crafty and it's got his like that weird historical like passed down tale like it's got like a, like a little droplet of truth in it like Carpenter might be an ass, but he's a smart ass. Yeah, literally and figuratively. <laughs>
1: what was next?
4: Um, from there, um, after that, there's a little bit of like the fog stuff, a little bit of fluff stuff that happens in the t- between. Um, but once they save the kid, they head to church. Um, they head to the church. You see that, um. During all that time, the town is actually celebrating their centen- centennial anniversary. Yes. this is why the curse has come to around full circle. It's been a hundred years. They want their revenge. The whole town is out to see this new statue that was erected for the centennial. My my thought was when they had gotten into the car to go back. Um, Elizabeth, not Elizabeth. Um, Janet Lee's character and Nicole's and uh, Nancy's character get in the the little like. S- not the SUV, it's like the station wagon to go to the church or to go home and then they get to the church. How many of those citizens were still out trying to go home? How many people actually died? It said six must die. But in my opinion, all of those people were still out. Not even near home. We
1: don't know. We only know what we saw. So That
4: was what bothered me. Like, even before we got to the climax of the movie, you had the sheriff the, the, all these citizens, all these kids, everybody out celebrating the centennial anniversary. At night, no doubt.
1: So this is actually a, a good moment to bring up that there is a remake of this movie. What? Yes. It oh. uh, came out in around 2005 and it stars Tom Welling from Smallville. I don't know who that is. He's Superman. <laughs> but it's not good. The yeah. remake is very bad but I think if I remember correctly because I often confuse this with uh, one of the episodes of Supernatural uh, I believe it was called Red Sky at Morning where there's like a ghost ship It's very, that episode is heavily influenced by the fog okay but, Um, I think in the remake they try to they actually make an attempt to like further play on some of the elements that this movie doesn't okay uh like i believe the statue is somewhat more involved like they actually show it to you in like a much greater way and uh if i remember correctly the whole six must die thing is elaborated on where the spirits are actually hunting down six specific descendants
4: I'm on the first paragraph of the plot in Wikipedia.
1: For the remake? (gasps) It's bad.
4: Oh my god.
1: But I get what they were trying to do. Like they were trying to elaborate more and make it a more focused story. Yeah. It just sucked. (laughs) It was just terrible.
4: This is, oh my god, this is nothing like what we just watched.
1: No, and luckily that...
4: The dates aren't even right.
1: No. Luckily, that came out in 2005, so we don't ever have to fucking watch it.
4: But if y'all want us to watch this and do something... Oh, boy. Well, we might have a way to do this. I don't want to watch this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but
4: Selma Blair's in it. I really do like Selma Blair.
1: Oh, but the movie is... Selma Blair is the Adrian Barbeau character. The in that. Stevie
4: Wayne, yeah. I like Selma Blair. She's cool. Um,
0: Anyways...
1: So yeah, they all start to all the characters start to basically converge on the church. Yep. And except for Adrian Barbeau who's tending the lighthouse.
4: And the father Father Malone never read past the 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 conspiracy to murder the boat or what happened because he didn't want to go further. So Janet Lee's character grabs it and starts reading. And what she reads is I have gone against my six other conspirators. I have taken the gold. I've hidden it in the church. And they dig through the walls and find a giant gold cross, which Father Malone, as the, the entities from the fog are bearing down on the church, they're ripping apart windows. They're slow punching window panes, which are like painted like it's not it's not even the, the the sugar glass it is just a pretty tissue paper that they go uh. <laughs> and I'm like all right there's another nod to <laughs> the practical effects right there um but they're bearing down on them and he realizes I'm, an, I'm a direct ancestor I must sacrifice myself so he brings the cross out there and you know Tom Atkins' character get, get the fuck out of there he's he rescues him
1: well so When he takes the cross out, he's confronted by... The room is filled with the fog and the entities. Most primarily, Blake. Blake. Who is like the... He was the captain, I believe.
4: And the entities are still encased in shadow, encased in darkness. But all you see is Blake's pulsing red eyes.
1: And fun fact here.
4: Fun facts! I like fun facts!
1: The ghost of Blake was played by none other than rob botin
4: i don't know who that is who is that sweetheart
1: rob botin was he was also the makeup effects artist on this movie he's also the makeup effects artist for the thing he is one of the most infamous effects artists in the industry because of the thing yeah this was his first ever job in the industry John, uh, I believe he was introduced to John Carpenter through some other through a friend. Yep. And he was asked to do this movie because of his physical stature. Because Rob Bottin's a pretty big dude. He's somewhat tall. And yeah, he's, he's, he was imp- he's super
4: imposing when I saw him on there.
1: So Carpenter met him and was like, you would be perfect to play this because you're huge. And it just so happens he had a background in makeup effects. Yeah. Without, oh. without that chance meeting, we never would have had the thing.
4: And I mean, there are something, there are some things in the thing. Some of those images that he made, dude, what the fuck, man? Like, I will never forget the. Uh, the one scene that stays with me always is when they have the defib and they go to defib him and his chest opens up and it's just honk. I'm like "Ah." (laughs) oh my god the thing like makes me sick good but makes me sick
1: um one other thing I would like to mention about this movie before we kind of wrap up the plot here yeah is that this uh movie at least the lighthouse portions I'm not sure about the rest of it but was shot in at a lighthouse in Point Reyes, um, which is part of Marin, uh, Marin County in California. Mm. It's an actual place that you can go visit today. It's still intact.
3: Oh, wow.
4: Still
1: as gorgeous as ever. Oh. I've always wanted to go to this place at some point in my life. I don't know if I ever will. Ooh, we'll take a trip. It's California.
4: <laughs> Look, but California is a, is a nice place if you don't go anywhere near L.A. Yeah. Or San Diego.
1: Apparently there's over three hundred steps leading down to that lighthouse.
4: I was wondering like, <laughs> how bad and she was in heels too. Yeah. Like Jesus.
1: Alright. So
4: So the entities get the get the gold cross. Father Malone's saved. Nobody else dies. Everybody goes their way. And the last scene you see is Father Malone in the church quietly ask but they needed six why didn't they take me and the fog rolls back in and Blake comes back and the final scene is Blake coming through the door with a hookup you hear but see nothing and it ends there blackout and I'm just like that's that's, that's very Carpenter-esque
1: yes um, I think that was a very perfect way to end this movie I always felt like this movie was like the perfect thing for Carpenter to make for television.
4: Mm, yeah.
1: I don't know if it ever like it does play on television. Every I've now never and then. seen
4: this movie before. I've never heard of this movie till I started dating you.
1: It's generally on like Sci-Fi Channel. They'll play it.
4: Sci-Fi Channel's scary because you know Sharknado. I don't trust them. Uh,
1: so I don't want to talk about what Sci-Fi has delved into in <laughs> fucking recent past. Yeah. But, personally, I've always loved this movie. I, I, I love that, like, campfire ghost story atmosphere that it delivers on, mm. and I think it delivers heavily.
4: Very well. Very well.
1: Um, yeah, like, I, I guess we're getting, kind of getting into the final questions. Yeah. Already, but, uh. Like, what, what were your impressions? What were your overall thoughts on this one?
4: Going in the first ever time I've seen this, I've seen a couple of Carpenter movies. Going into this, I had an idea of who Carpenter is as a director and the direction he likes to go. Um, There was no surprises with this. I thought this was very, like, oh, it's very basic because I've seen Halloween but then I've seen The Thing. So there's two very different sides of Carpenter. Like, The Thing is gory and gross and disgusting and like but Halloween is methodical and meticulous and slow. So this was kind of like a middle a middle ground kind of thing. I liked this personally. I did th- wish that it had a little more substance to it. It feels like it's lacking like you said. This would be a good like a whole movie or a television broadcast. I don't think I would have seen this in theaters. I'd have been like, okay, like it was kind of it was basic to me. It's tough coming from the basic queen herself, <laughs> but this felt very basic. Good, but very basic.
1: Um I can understand that point of view and to an extent I agree. Like it's it's a film that is meant to be simple. Much like Halloween, it's meant to be simple. The horror in it is that fear of the unknown and it's actually funny that you equated this originally to a uh, lovecraftian story because even uh carpenter has said in an interview before i uh, talking most specifically about like halloween and the fog is like early work but uh that one of the things he brings up often is that um the the true horror—it's it, an anecdote, really—that uh, like the true horror is—we often like to equate that true horror is is, is out there. It's the other. Yep. It's it's something we can't perceive, but that that's not the case. It's like that that real horror comes from within. Yeah. It, it's it's in our own human hearts. And I think, like most of his other stuff, that's what this story is aiming to say. It's, yeah, technically, the, if you look at it in its basic form, the horror in this movie is coming from out there. It's from beyond. Yeah. But that's not the horror of this movie. The horror is what we did to cause that. Yeah. It's the horrors that we as humans can commit will bring about something far worse
4: it's pretty telling for what the world the state of the world is in lately like honestly um didn't even think about that really i thought of it as just oh it's just a basic horror movie like it's not really anything that special but no now that makes a lot more sense thinking that this is a story about the horrors that the forefathers of this town did and they just want revenge for you know essentially murdering all these people because they didn't want them yeah it's 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 it's, it's something like oh it's just a made-up story is it really a made-up story nowadays i mean the world is full of things like this that have actually happened yeah which is even more terrifying when this was just supposed to be a story so.
1: Um. Do you have any favorites from this one?
4: Um, I didn't have any favorite lines. I think the only line that I actually wrote down uh was hope no one else out, out there gets lost in the fog, which kind of kind of sat with me pretty well where, you know, you get lost in The hatred or you get lost in this one track situation. Like it could be literally from the fog or literally from, you know, this town's plot of killing these people so they can keep going rather than bringing these people in and working together with them. I mean, they probably could have worked together fine with them if, you know, they just kept Mm -hmm. their distance and, you know, okay, you know, you have leprosy, you know, you guys got to stay there, but we'll help each other as much as we can. I mean, how hard would have that been to let these people, I don't know. But it was just an interesting quote. It feels a lot deeper than it should just on the outside. Like, it feels like that quote meant a lot more. Favorite scene? Probably when they were trying to kill Stevie Wayne on top of the lighthouse. And she's like, oh my God, oh no, oh my God. And then she slashes at him, and you can see he's algae covered with maggots or something coming out of him. That's the only time you see one of these things up is just this side of his face. Yeah. And it's like, I'm very happy. I was like, oh, I didn't really want to see them, but I'm happy it's just like this bit. Yeah. Even the final scene, you don't see shit. You see arms, and that's it. You see nothing else. So. Pretty much it for me. What
1: about mm. you? Um, it's hard for me to pick a favorite scene because I, I've grown up with this movie. I I really love the whole thing. Uh, but there are some favorite bits of dialogue. Uh. Most notably my absolute favorite part of this whole movie is that opening campfire story.
4: Oh, the old guy telling the story. I
1: I can't recite you the whole thing, but it is amazing. Like it is so impactful right off the bat, and it gets me every time. It's actually if you listen to the soundtrack, that the first track is that. The first track is just just the old man telling the story.
4: You're gonna have to play me this this final track. It's so good.
1: Um, a couple of small ones that I like are. Are you weird? Yes, I, yes am. I am. I am weird. Um, and then there's there's no fog bank out there. Hey, there's a fog bank out there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's. I always... hated
4: that character by the way. Skipped over all of his shit.
1: Oh god. The fucking
4: weatherman. He was sleazy.
1: Oh yeah.
4: Oh hey, sweetheart, get off my fucking phone. <laughs> Gross.
1: Yeah. Uh... Oh, one line that stood out to me this time. I've yep. seen this movie more times than I can count. So tell. many times, yeah. But this time, uh, John Carpenter has a very small part in this movie, but he says one line that was so fucking telling that I I couldn't help but laugh. What was that? Father, can I get paid? I almost died because knowing John Carpenter always talks about the money all the time. And knowing
4: that back (laughs) in the late 70s, early 80s, he was still like...
1: He had none.
4: Because he was still
1: making shit on his movies. (laughs) It it just made me laugh.
4: Come see me tomorrow. Fuck you. (laughs) (sighs) Does it work? Yes. I think it does. And if they've already made a remake... It works. Was the remake a commercial success? I don't know. No. I want to say if I've never fucking heard of it, and it was remade in 2005, that's when I used to go to the theaters. I've never heard of this remake. So I think it works for the time. It's very simple. It's very basic. It is a horror movie that isn't horrifying, but it does make you think. So yes, I believe it does work.
1: Um, I mean, I love this movie. I personally feel like it works. I feel like if you like simple... If you like Are You Afraid of the Dark, like, campfire yeah. stories, this works. It's a simple ghost story. If you're looking for something like The Conjuring, don't fucking watch this. No. Um, nope. you have to be in... This is not gonna work for everybody. No, I guarantee you that a lot of people today won't enjoy this the way we die-hard horror fans do. Um, if you're in it for the for gore alone, don't watch this. It's not that type of movie. I I'm just gonna go right into. I don't recommend this to certain people.
4: No, but I would say if you are trying to get into horror and you don't know where to start, this would be on a list of start with this. If you're not a huge horror fan, but you want to put your toes into the shallow end, this is the shallow end. This is this is pretty easy. <clears throat> like, there's no gore. There's no real big violence. There's just a simple, supernatural, thriller, horror story in it. It's not Saw where people are cutting off limbs. And it's not fucking Human Centipede where you're sewing somebody's face to an asshole. (laughs) No. This is simple. Simple is not bad. It's not bad sometimes. Some people want a little bit of a fright, but they don't want to be subject to fucking gore and horror. Like, horrific horror. This, This is pretty good if you're trying to start simple. Yeah.
1: I recommend this to anyone who's trying to introduce their kids to horror.
4: Yes. I would say, like, 9 or 10. Anything younger, I don't know. I would recommend this to my nephew. My nephew's 5, but he's very into horror. Yeah. It's kind of weird how very into horror he is. He kind of worries me. You know, hey, parents, he's kind of...
1: He's going to grow up to be a serial killer.
4: Yeah, good luck. Um, My sister's going to yell at me. But... I would recommend this for him. Yeah, this is rated R because oh no, like she's covered. They they slept together. Who well, hasn't seen that in a fucking normal eight to ten yeah. episode of a show on NBC? Now. It's,
1: I I definitely recommend this. Like if you have a kid who's already interested in horror elements
4: Starting with this. Don't go to the here. thing. Don't go to the
1: thing. Go to this. Like I'd put this on the list with like gremlins and Oh yeah, gremlins fucking, um uh
4: I almost said chopping mall. No. <laughs> Not Stop Chopping Mall. Mall. <laughs> I don't know
1: why I'm it. <laughs> Uh, gremlins and critters and things like that. Like...
4: Critters? I haven't seen critters and I'm terrified. Don't recommend children critters. Critters is awesome. You're a psychopath that watched horror movies at three. Still need to talk to your parents. <laughs> Tomorrow's Christmas. I'm talking to your parents. Go for Remind it. Remind me. Um... But, yeah, like, if you want to ease your kids into horror, start simple. I would love, I would love, and if, in the comments of the podcast or the video or anything, tell us what kind of movies you'd like recommendations. Sean knows all sorts of horror. He can help you if you really do want to get into horror. Like, my recommendations that ease me into it are old ones. Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, anything like this. Those are good easing into it. Yeah, back then those were terrifying movies. Now, not so much. It's a nice ease. Start with the older stuff. Start with Nosferatu. That's about as old as you can get, but it's still classic horror. Any of the hammer horrors. Like if your kids are really showing like Five Nights at Freddy's or Piggy, a lot of parents will know what I'm talking about. These kids are getting into more and more kind of Slenderman, like graphic horror things. Start them off easy with classics. Show them to appreciate the classics. Then go into Saw. You know, when they're a teenager. <laughs> so.
1: Uh, how would you make this today? No,
4: no, nope. Leave this there. We've tried it. Did not work. Let it go. Yeah,
1: somebody already fucked this up in 2005.
4: Look, <laughs> John. there's a reason why John Carpenter's stuff is classic. Not just a few of John Carpenter's stuff. His stuff is classic. End of story didn't he do escape from new york yes the thing he's done a number of amazing films i don't know all of them you could probably say them all of them are classics there's a reason why it's a carpenter classic there's a reason why that phrase exists in horror because or thriller or adventure or action carpenter's movies are good solid movies leave carpenter's shit where he made it in the 70s and 80s and 90s leave it there
1: Obviously, I agree. Oh, yeah. Um, we need to
4: start, stop agreeing on everything. Oh, my God. We're 15, 15, episodes in. We're supposed to be some healthy dynamic here.
1: I think we have it. Um,
4: Especially in a home, yeah.
1: The fog Dang. is something I don't think ever should be remade. No. Somebody already tried and failed.
4: That's not to say that somebody couldn't. How,
1: however, here's a thought have you ever seen the show harper's island no so Har- briefly harper's island was a essentially a retelling of and then there were none uh the agatha christie novel uh i
4: don't know agatha christie uh, clue. sorry clue okay all right clue same deal okay. uh, a
1: bunch of people go to an island and um are systematically picked off by a serial killer that's mm-hmm. that's what harper's island is we should watch it at some point that'd be cool
4: Sounds like what that fucking uh, mystery on the Nile movie that's coming out later this year. That's
1: uh, different circumstance, but similar.
4: Kind of sounds very uh, towing the line.
1: Um, if you were to, if somebody were to take this story and tell it like *Harper's Island*, one season mini series. I think *Harper's Island* was twelve episodes. You could do limited it less.
4: series are the best way to do remakes because okay, it's an hour and a half. Yeah. But if you make it a limited, you can pull more character development, yeah. more Which story, elaborate a lot more. I feel on that this. this
1: movie could benefit from character it development.
4: It could. It could. I mean, back then, like, how much really did you need to know about these characters? It didn't. But I'm going to say it now because we've got the Roku thing sliding across the screen, and I see WandaVision sliding across all over. WandaVision is the perfect example of that story could not be told in one movie. It couldn't. That movie would have been eight hours long. Having WandaVision in that limited series run, and Kevin Feige already said it's not, that's it. WandaVision was it, one and done. Because of the pandemic, it was great to have that. Watch it at home, da-da-da-da. Great. It, It gives you a chance to flesh out more of a story. And I'm loving it. I love going to the theater. I love these epic tales. But there is something coming from a... Japanese drama or a Korean drama fan where I watch these limited shows, these limited series that bring out these beautiful tales and string it out. That would be perfect. A lot of these movies that have where we hope I wish there was more character development. I wish there's more as a story. I wish I knew more backstory. It would work for this stuff. It really would.
1: Well, that's what I mean. Like if you if you're going to remake something now why not go the extra mile and just embell it, like, elaborate on what's already there?
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, if somebody has aspirations to remake this, again, do it that way. Like, that's my recommendation.
4: I still say no, but...
1: I don't think you should, but if you you're should, gonna, but... do it that way. Yeah. At least then you're getting something extra out of it.
4: Yeah.
1: Is this exploitation or other?
4: I would say this is other. This... I feel like most horror is grindhouse. Most... I don't know. I just feel like the horror genre should have its own grindhouse because that's where a lot of the weird grindhouse stuff is. It's invested in this creepy horror. This Lovecraftian kind of mysterious weird genre of horror, of of movies. And I'm gonna say it's not exploitation, but I think it's other. I believe. Yes.
1: So, while technically and, like, just by popularity's sake, you really wouldn't classify this as exploitation, I think in some instances it is. Uh, like, it does strive to be like a ghost story it it strives to be a little bit more than your average Mm. haunting type of story um it doesn't really go hard into the exploitive elements so it may have played
4: it's 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 a fine line yeah it's a very teetered fine line
1: you probably could have seen this in sleazy theaters at one point or another but or things like it Mm. But no, ultimately, it's not an exploitation film. That's fine. Um, You can be wrong. (laughs) I'm just going to go fuck myself. (laughs) Uh, Before we wrap up this episode, I actually would like to pose another small experiment.
4: Oh, no. Um, Homework.
1: And honestly, this may be... A semi-regular thing that I I'm try okay to with do.
4: I like, I like this thinking. So you hit me with a good one for Casablanca. Hit me with one with this.
1: This one's a little simpler. Okay. But it's something I thought of that I had to note. Um, so early in this movie, Jamie Lee mentions that she feels like this is happening because of her. Like all these weird things are occurring. And that she's bad luck and that bad things tend to happen around her. Sometimes I like to think of her character as a continuation of Laurie Strode. Bear with me. Maybe Laurie left town after the events of Halloween 2. She ran away. She traveled, and along the way, she got picked up hitchhiking by Nick Castle, and he she gave him this fake name Elizabeth so she wouldn't be tied to her past. And her story goes on.
4: And the reason why the other girl looks so much like Annie is because she misses her friends. Is because she's seeing her friends that she abandoned from Haddonfield. I hate you. <laughs> oh, Now I'm going to sit here and make this elaborate story. Okay. So now whoever wants to remake The Fog, here you go. Here's a little, you know, <laughs> that's fucking uncanny. Yeah, what if the what if what if Laurie Strode really is a cursed object? And now wherever she goes, these mysterious events just follow her. What the fuck? It's just a Sean? fun
1: thought experiment. What?
4: <laughs> oh my god. And like she breaks down and she feels. She looks very traumatized when all this shit's happening to her, and that's why she asks him if she's weird because she's weird because she's a curse. I gotta go. I'm done. <laughs> Bye, guys. I'm gonna heat myself out of here. Oh my god.
1: Um. Let me know if you're liking these little experiments. I'm gonna try to keep them going, like whenever I think of them. Uh.
4: Look, we have another podcast to record today. I'm gonna need you to stop blowing my mind, please, and thank you. <laughs> and I still have to make Christmas cookies, okay? And it is—it's not dark yet. No. <laughs> thank God. Uh <sighs> Yeah. Killing me, Smalls. You're Th- killing me.
1: <laughs> that uh, that wraps up our discussion of the fog. Um, but please don't go anywhere just yet. Stay tuned for the coming attractions. <laughs>
2: I will. I think I'll do
3: just that. Horribly wrong.
1: To be completely transparent... So transparent. Neither of us have ever seen anything involving this movie. So as our viewers, you have just seen more than we have.
4: Yes. I, Sean sent me, when we started talking about the podcast, he sent me a list of movies that are considered grindhouse films. And because we wanted to pull our own versions, but we also wanted to actually pepper in proper grindhouse... As you can tell from the title, it's an, it's, this is an A. I'm going through the alphabet and picking movies out. You, you'll be able to tell which one are mine. I pulled this because the title sounds badass. And soon, The Darkness. I don't know why. I did not read the synopsis. I know nothing about this film. The cover looks badass. I bought it. End of story. That's all I know. That's all we know i cannot wait to sit down and watch this i don't even know reviews i remember seeing a blip that there's nudity in it that's it
1: yeah i uh i didn't try to do any beforehand research for this one um i'm interested to see what it is the title does sound really cool the cover art is great oh it is um I'm excited. I like anything from the Grindhouse era, so I'm yeah. This I'm is interested.
4: a this is a so instead of asking us this Grindhouse, it's going to be what kind of Grindhouse this is. Yeah. Which I'm really excited because we've only done two proper Grindhouse movies so far, and they were essentially the same Grindhouse movie. Yes. I pulled this out of my ass, people, out of my <laughs> ass. I cannot wait because this might be the first time where we get a real taste. Of American. I don't even know if this is an American grindhouse movie. I don't know. It could be Italian, could be anything.
1: We will find out. We
4: will find out.
1: Um, and something I want us to try and do a little more when we're wrapping up our episodes. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you?
4: You can find me while I live in Rhode Island. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's see. Don't tell
1: people that. <laughs>
4: We told them that. We just don't know. You just don't know where in Rhode Island. Uh, let's see. I have to look up what my line, my thing is, because I have two Instagrams. Um, mm-hmm. but I actually want to pull up the proper one. So my Instagram online is Leah Diana Photography, all one word. Um, you'll know because it's just shots of photo, phot pho, photography, kick. <sighs> photographic shots
1: photographic
4: photographic shots um I haven't made a separate Facebook but I have a personal one obviously it's tied in with the Grindhouse one um and I also have the Twitter it's at Cast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
4: have a separate one too but I'll be mostly on that you can also find me on the Discord I use my Discord all the time I'm on my Discord at home on my phone all the time so if you have any questions, you wanna talk, you wanna ask anything, I encourage people to like ask us questions. Like you just saw this trailer. If you've seen the movie before and you want to ask a specific question asked, or maybe in the future, we'll do like a QA. We'll answer some questions that you guys ask us. You wanna know more about us, you wanna know more about the collection? Um
1: I mean Ask us stuff on the Discord, and we'll answer it in future episodes.
4: Absolutely. We'll make a separate tab. It's not there yet, but we'll make a separate tab tab about Q&A. That's really where you can find me, but I'm all over social media. I have been for years. I still have a MySpace, and I'm not going to talk about it. Thanks so much. (laughs) This has been my TED Talk. Sean, sweetie, where can they find you?
1: Well, you can find me on, uh, Instagram, um, overlook.film, uh, that's, come find me there for all your video, photo, audio needs, mm-hmm. uh, in the New England area. Yep. Happy to help out. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. Yep. Uh, As she said, we're on Twitter at GrindhouseCast. Chat with her on Discord. um, And through her and me as well. (laughs) Uh, If you're listening to the podcast, um, please give us a five-star rating. Give us whatever rating you want. but Five stars helps us better in the long run. Um, You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your morning fix. Yep. Uh, new episodes come out every single week, uh, Monday mornings, bright and early. Yep. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you want a more visual experience, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can get every single episode in its entirety with video.
4: He didn't laugh the entire time I just did the really shitty robot. <laughs> so. uh,
1: if you like what we're doing and you want to show us your support, we also have a Patreon um, all that information is down in the show notes. Um, I think we've come up with some fun little we have. tier levels. So you I can get some, be fun. some enjoyable rewards.
4: We'd also love it if you guys give us input on what you want to see. You want to hear. I mean, it, the possibilities are endless with this. Yeah, this is about movies. But hell, we're we, we're doing this for us. But we're also doing this so people hear our opinions about movies. So please... Think, Let us know.
1: I think we've got some cool ideas in the works for all this, yes. and I personally think that this podcast is going to keep evolving and changing. Oh as God, we go. yeah,
4: we're always the format keeps changing a little bit by a little bit uh, by week to week. But you also have to remember, like we're recording these in succession, like always, always, always.
1: Yes, we. It's no secret we're not trying to hide that we record these episodes in advance. So by the time you see an episode, we're probably.
4: Months N- months
1: and months, months. ahead. Yeah. So. Like,
4: we're mentioning now, like, tomorrow is Christmas for us. 2021.
1: Yeah, you guys are going to be well into twenty. We literally
4: just put up the Getting to Know Us section. The
1: episode 0. Episode 0
4: <laughs> is live. So, we've only gotten feedback from that one at this moment. So, definitely, like, even though this is going to be far in the future leave us feedback let us know how we're doing anywhere of the social medias that we mentioned we're going to continue bringing you guys content we've already got i think we said we already have till september planned
3: because at this point
4: this is coming out in april yes so we have till september planned so and trust us we enjoy doing this
1: it's a lot of fun
4: it takes a lot of work like we have to plan these in advance but this is a lot of it really is i thought that at one point i'd be like oh I want a podcast but then i'm like podcast. <laughs> <laughs> i get really excited to be like it's a podcast <laughs> um,
1: <sighs> until next week i'm
4: sean i might be leah i'll get back to you on that
1: thanks for listening and keep
4: watching it's back baby
3: film, it is definitely not recommended for the squeamish.